welcome to Conversations About Life. Thanks, Ed, for being a guest on my podcast again. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Me too. Thanks for having me. So, Ed Bowen, um, to introduce you, you are an ap- apologist? Yes, and, I would say so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and today we are... Um, and you're with the organization... Uh, uh, Engage 360 Ministries. Yes. Right. It uh, focuses on evangelism uh, and mostly the odd part of getting the conversation going. Like, I mean, really, we concentrate on clarifying, presenting the simple gospel as presented in 1 Corinthians 15, just four major points, and then um, helping people spot different spiritual spots to have a natural conversation, start a natural conversation, and and kind of guide it in that direction. And then as an add-on at the end, we provide some apologetics for um, the proof of the resurrection, which is central to the gospel, and, and, a, and a few other things, maybe a little proofs for the Bible, and uh, uh, so maybe we... Find, Mostly concentrate on proofs for the resurrection and the Bible, truthfulness of the Bible, and then just to give people confidence to go ahead and um, comfortably, you know, talk to people if they get some pushback. There's some other things we do, but we just concentrate. We just leave it there, and we think if if they know that, if they grasp simple gospel, proofs for the resurrection, some proofs for the Bible, they can navigate the 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 first waters when when they're starting these conversations. So that's basically the focus. I, I recently listened to Mike Lacona mm-hmm. and Gavin Ortland on Gavin's port on Gavin's podcast Truth Unites and they were um, talking about the resurrection in from a historical perspective mm-hmm. and it was so encouraging to me. Um, basically the conversation went along of Mike just talking about what everyone believes, like even non-believers, but if they're informed about history, um, there's certain things that they just accept um, for, you know, generally that Jesus Christ was a historical person, or Jesus of Nazareth was a historical person, that um, the Romans crucified him, but then also like um, that at least some of his followers sincerely believed that they saw him alive after the crucifixion. You know, people, even unbelievers who are um, informed about history and can, they, they don't think that the witnesses were, are trying to fool us. They think that they're sincere, you know, even if they don't believe. And then that Paul um, saw a vision of the resurrection resurrected Jesus. And if you take all of those things, it's hard to have a good answer um, if you don't believe. Like, you you almost just have to say, well, I don't know, I don't believe, but, you know, there's not, like, a, a good response to it. And that was, the whole, the whole talk was pretty encouraging to me. Yeah, I was exposed to that, and in school, uh, he teamed up with Gary Habermas, and Gary Habermas is like, 
resurrection expert for the last 30, 35 years, and they wrote a book, or it's basically the premise is the minimal facts argument, and that's what what you just mentioned. These are the minimal facts that even the most liberal historians sign on to, and and the argument goes that they're, you know, the, the, the inference to the best explanation would be the resurrection. It's not a, a, a fake death. It's not a replacement person. It's not, he didn't really die, uh, and then overcame. Right. Yeah, it, it's so many of these things. And, and then some people just, they just don't have time for it. You know, they'll, uh, like it's one of the fallacies, I think, is the... Uh, 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 personal incredulity, like nah, I just can't believe that stuff, and then they just they don't interact with it. They just that's just too much. It's too complicated. Right. I'm done. And you're like, well, that's not an argument that you just stop doing right. the problem. Yes, right. it is for me. It is, and and you can kind of uh, I can be kind of sympathetic to needing a lot of reasons for like an amazing claim. And the resurrection is an amazing claim. Yeah, that is a yeah. That's an argument that I think uh, there's a philosopher who brought it up. That was uh, I forget his name now. Prominent philosopher wasn't Bertrand Russell. Maybe it was Bertrand Russell. But that's, somebody like him. That amazing, uh, uh, amazing uh, events require amazing proof. And I'm like, well, that's not really how proof works. Amazing events, no matter how amazing they are, still just require the same amount of proof, regular proof. Like, seeing something with your own eyes is still enough proof. It doesn't have to be, I don't know how you would go beyond that. Like, or Right, but seeing something with your own eyes is quite a bit more proof than like a historical claim, I think. Right. Uh, yeah, but then there's, I mean, I've never been to China, and I don't have an amazing amount of proof, but... But, enough, but you uh, could appeal go there, to authority. Though. Yeah, I could go there, but appeal to authority is enough. Or, uh, you know, we we we. So, C.S. Lewis, I think, said that uh, we believe in things basically uh, because we're convinced of things, you know, through our our direct senses and everything, or through authority. Most of the things that we believe, we believe based on the authority of others. And other things, history, science, sure. experts, and then, you know, if we, uh, you know, that's, we wouldn't get anything done if we didn't do that. We'd be like, well, I can't believe it until I prove it to myself. And we're like, well, okay. Right. <laughs> You'll never get anything done. Right. Um, so we could go down that road, and it's interesting, but we were going to talk about right. in, informal fallacies. Sure. So the way I think of, fallacies are like well you got your formal fallacies and i think of them like that's math almost like you know really structured and but informal fallacies are more practical um and just kind of things that we encounter every day and it's kind of frustrating because it seems like it's frustrating for me when people on my side do it because i think i want people who are arguing my side to be of integrity and and not have to do anything except just present truth and if they're arguing, arguing in a very upright, good way and so forth. 
but you see uh, informal fallacies a lot. And I didn't go- explain very well just what informal means there. Uh, if you want to go ahead and just explain what we mean. Yeah, I've thought through that too. Like, uh, so you're right. Formal formal fallacies are are they're, they're deductive. You take a syllogism with the premises, and they don't lead to the conclusion either by the they're non sequiturs there or they someone's doing doing the so that if if they're doing the math wrong you would call it an invalid argument you mm-hmm. could have started with true premises but you didn't add them right or or you're just making leaps and jumps that have nothing to do with the premises that's invalid and, right and then um or you could have a valid argument where the logic was sound each one led to the next step, but it's not sound, or, or the, it was a valid argument, but it's not sound because the premises weren't true. You started off with something that wasn't even true, and though you add up things that aren't true, and you can logically make them come together, like, okay, it's a valid argument, but it has no basis in reality. It's right. not true. So those, those would be the examples of formal fallacies. Informal fallacies kind of just... I would say, I guess, uh, they're almost bias-based or sometimes just rhetoric or slippery maneuvering to grab a person's interest or focus and take it away from the argument or or even point to an argument that is not the real argument. It's somehow it undermines it, not in a formal sense, but in this indirect playing games with words or playing games with emotion or playing games with uh, um, what seems to be a good argument. They've heard it before, so I'm going to use it. And you're like, well, that was it was bad when that guy used it. It's still bad when you use it. it it's a fallacy. An so fallacy. is there any particular... Uh, informal fallacy that you see a whole lot and that's frustrating to you and like the, what's the main one for you do you think I think I, I, I studied a bunch before today like I listened to 30 different versions of fallacies and then so these top 10 rang in my mind and or 11 and I think the one we just talked about and maybe another one, personal incredulity, where people just, they don't want to interact with the information, or they don't know how to interact with the information, and they just, they're apathetic. They're almost apathetic on top of, well, I just can't believe that that would be that way. It's just too difficult. I don't think God would do it that way. And then they turn talking. That They just stop. That's That's the argument, which is really, I didn't even know there was a name for it. I just knew. Yeah. I didn't. I don't accept that. What are you, we're not even interacting with the information. But then, to find out that the, the the fallacy is personal incredulity, I just can't believe that. Hmm. With nothing behind it, too, and I, I think that's kind of frustrating because you got to almost get the person to care a little bit about it to keep going down the topic, and then you have to be careful with, you know, how how are they thinking about things? Because I think. On top of that, if you force them to start thinking about something, a lot of these other fallacies start to come up, and you're like, wow, this is getting more muddled than before. Right. Um, so I guess that would be number one. Yeah, and I can kind of sympathize with that somewhat because there's so many things to give our attention to, and there's this particular thing, 
and we don't have it figured out. It just doesn't ring true to us, or it rings like there's it's incredible, or there's some problem with it. But we um, maybe we don't have the skill to really wrestle with it, or the time, or the interest. You know, um, I think for some people it's just maybe the interest. Um, and, and it is difficult because I, I, I think I talked to you about this last time. I started, I started finally discovering everyone's not as articulate about their view as I have and probably haven't spent as much time as I have like going through and going, can I believe this? Would I weight this? How do I look at this? How does that add up and combine with these arguments? And I remember trying to write, I wrote a, before I went to, get my master's degree, I wrote an argument for a guy who I thought I was doing a great job. It was all over the place. It was not, it was just, it's afterward, I, after being trained, I'm like, man, I just threw him a, a snowball of stuff that didn't, I didn't connect in any way. I didn't direct the thinking. I just said, well, you got these 20 things that loosely, not even loosely hang together. This is why. And, and now being trained i'm going oh yeah how would he i can't make sense of that now how would have he made sense of it now i'm like you have to establish so there's different ways to establish things i guess the two biggest ways in apologetics uh without presuming everything would be classical method or uh an evidential method and a classical method goes in order it starts with kind of how can you know anything at all and if you can establish that then how can you know truth about reality how can you know things about god if the bible is true if its claims are true and then you just go down a sequential order and then the other way evidential you you pick out things that are like like we stated the uh the minimal facts argument is definitely an evidential method you just start with things that are undeniable and now you have to uh infer to the explanation that that would account for these truth claims these these things that just seem undeniable and that would be so and they and they overlap a lot when it, and and then you just have to put that together but people who are even saying that people are like i don't even know what he's talking about what, what how would you even go about that what are the what are the undeniables that you start with and that takes some thinking and some you know deep diving into some topics you know so this fallacy personal incon Incongruity, incredulity, incredulity. It's, it's like it's basically saying it's too incredible. Right. It's incredible, so incredible that I cannot, I can't even entertain. So that's um, more of a, I guess, in an argument that would be more of a defensive type of stance, rather than the person who is trying to get his message across. So the it, right. Yeah. So. Um, so how would you address that? Um, like you, you wouldn't necessarily. Some of these fallacies are things like to be careful of, like f- for me um, or for those, you know, making claims. Like the strawman fallacy is a really um, frustrating one for me when I hear it. When I hear people arguing my point of view, use it, and it's just. It just seems unfair and things. But this other one um, about it just being too incredible and not wanting to really deal with it, that would be more of what you would see on the other side, I suppose. And um, 
I think it's yeah. I think it could go both ways. Like yeah. like people put that. Some people. I mean, it's like a cop out thing where, you know, uh, I mean, it could go with the problem of evil. Was well, you know, I we could wrestle with it, but then some people who are not familiar with the problem of evil answers. Well, why would God do that? I don't know, man. I just believe it. I don't. I don't get into all that stuff. I just know God is on top of it. Right. You know. I, I kind of. That's. Uh, I guess that's a little bit different. But they're basically going. You're not. I, it, that's even my own belief system is too complicated for me to delve into. But right. I'm just going to go with it. So, don't burden me with yeah. having to explain my belief system to you. I. I so it's almost like. So some of those people. It's what so I'm trying to convey is that some of the people's like from their incredulity, they can't even explain it, so they don't even wanna I just I would just rather believe it or I don't think about it or I haven't worked it out. Hmm. And some people are of the it's too hard to work out. Like I, I remember I'm just thinking of people right now, I won't mention their names, where they're like, I don't even get into that Ed. I just believe it because I don't think anybody can work it out. And I think that's just a cop-out before they even delve into the math. Where an example of that that I try to say, uh, or someone's like, you know what, space is really huge. Then that's kind of the, what they're saying. God just can do it. It's no problem. And I'm like, but you would know how, if you did any type of studying on how far away even the closest star is to us, that even traveling at the in the in the fastest vehicle we have to get to the nearest star would still take two hundred thousand years, and you're like, that is so fast. That's like I think because like the shuttle does like ten thousand miles an hour, it still takes two hundred thousand years. Now that's the closest thing to us. Then there's everything beyond that. Now do you have a little bit of an idea how much further space is than just space is just really big. No, it's. It's almost inconceivable how much bigger it is than I. So I think some of the arguments are like that. People, even on our side, are just. I think it's lazy. They, you know, that's why I say apathetic first. First, it's apathetic, and then it is some work. If you want to get into thinking about some of these arguments, you got, you got to be dedicated and go. Okay, what am I missing here? What are the parts that I'm missing? And people are intimidated by that, so I think they'll almost slink into that. I just think it's too much. It's almost like it's too much, so I'm not going to do it. Well, so you can't get a person to move either way on that side. They could be on your side or they could be on the opposite side. So either way, they're not going to do the work. It's mm-hmm. just too much. I'm just going to back up. Right. So how do you overcome it? I think some, it has to do with questions, getting to know them personally. You know, what's, what's the trouble for you? Why is, why is it so difficult? I mean, what, what's, what's the thing that's hanging you up? Just just treat them like with kid gloves. Don't get frustrated. I think just keep, just just work it out. You right. know, it might be, I found, like when you just said math, I'm like, there's, you just start relating things. I'm like, it is like math. Like when I first got into philosophy, my mathematical brain just said, oh my gosh, this is just, this is like doing numbers and all that work, but just doing it with words. It's just translated to me. And then there's other people who are good at philosophy. They're not good at math. I'm like, no, that doesn't make sense in my mind. But maybe it's because I started off with math first. I think with arguments, um, something, an answer has to feel right to a person. It can't, they can just, they can 
have the reason reasonable layout of why it's this or that, but they might not trust their own reason if it just doesn't hit home with them and just feel true, you know. So I think we're dealing with um, more than just um, reason, you know, when it comes to... Now that deals with kind of two the appeal to mo- appeal to emotion and which is a fallacy mm-hmm. uh, but also there's like a truth test for that uh, I call it existential consistency because and, and that's why it's not always trustworthy because your appeal to emotion because it, it's in that vein but some things if we're if we're based on what I already believe about the Bible and that God has ingrained some things in us to like a moral compass but the bible also says you can you can uh sear that compass you can destroy it you can so manipulate it and just and 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 make it not effective so there's a point in which a person you might appeal to that like if you if they reason that naturalism is true and that survival of the fittest is the way things work out and if animals aren't morally responsible for their actions, then neither are we. And there's, and you're going, okay, that's your argument. Now, can you live with that? Is it is that okay with you? Your existential uh, consistency. Can you live with that? Which is it's kind of an appeal to emotion argument, where they're like, no, I'm still going to help other humans morally responsible for killing other. Humans. I'm like, right. well, that's inconsistent with what you just laid out with me. But it just seems right. Yeah, it seems right. But then part of us, on our biblical understanding, would be like, well, that's consistent with our complete argument that God has put that on our hearts. But in this particular application of it, you're going to appeal to their emotion in that. Can you live with that? And I wonder some people how, can. I wonder how useful argument is, for example, Joshua Prest... I can't think of his, his French fellow who um, carves icons and um, speaks sometimes on podcasts and so forth. But he's a convert from um, evangelicalism to Eastern Orthodoxy. But anyway, he, um, he talks about how he more of tries to show the beauty of the Christian faith rather than laying out an argument for it. Like, I think showing its beauty and its completeness and um, some of his drawings are really neat and kind of go along these lines, but showing how um, it's orderly and how, you know, God's glory is reflected in it, stuff like that. But just showing, you know, kind of focusing it more on that. And um, it kind of made me wonder if maybe that's, um, you know, a better approach sometimes. I don't know. I think yes and no because there's sometimes. So, oh, sorry about that. I got a standing meeting that I forgot to head off before we got here. He uh, should be all right. We we talk uh, a couple times a week. Uh, so. You were saying uh, appealing to the beauty of Christianity, which is right. something, and and uh, we write songs about it, and we worship God for the plan He has put in place. Mm-hmm. But some people on the outside are like, 
I mean, their songs are, you know, your your uh, your egotistical god who has slaughtered his son, and that's where they stop. They just it's right. all about him, and and he and he sacrificed his only son. Well, that's really sweet. That's nice. What a god, you know. So yeah, it looks ugly to them on the outside, and they. What are they doing? They're stopping the conversation. But would, like, The Line of Witch in the Wardrobe be an example of showing the, the beauty of it, of the atonement, you know, in, like, a children's book? Right, yeah. And I, and I, I, I think it works for some people, but some people have the other things that are layered, and they have to get, you know, if they had a sure. hard time with their father, and that maybe they... Their lives were sacrificed, and some they're just they're just identifying with the unfairness towards Jesus. Yeah, and 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 the, and and then some people just it doesn't even make sense to them. They can't even qualify it as beautiful because they're like, I don't understand how one person dying has anything to do with the wrongdoing of the rest of the world. Yeah, and then it's like, okay, do you keep appealing to beauty there, or we got something else to address where there's a disconnect? You know, and even that, I've thought a lot about, you know, the debt paid and forgiveness and, uh, you know, even even someone has to pay the bill. If there's damage in the world to to fix it, somebody's got to pay the bill. You You can someone can smash your car to smithereens. You can forgive them. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Okay, but the car's still smashed. Now you're gonna somebody's gonna have to pay the price to sort that out. And that's how I think we we bring Jesus' sacrifice back into it. But even then, there's something that they'll... Well, we definitely want um, reason to be kind of leading the the ship and emotion to be following it. For example, lately I've been meditating on Scripture and wanting to, my emotions and life and to be fitting with... The Christian hope and what and God's love for me, and I, I want to be as excited as I ought to be, and I want that to correspond to what I have to be excited about. But I I don't. But that's different than just kind of working up emotion because it feels good and it's like I'm just going to be as happy and exciting and shout for joy just as much as I can because I just want to do that. But rather. If I, with reason, considering, well, what has God done for me? Who is God? And how great is that? What kind of emotion is match, matches up to that rightly? Is it like jumping up and down, shouting for joy? Or is it like just a, a quiet feeling content? Or, or what? What's appropriate? Mm. And trying to... But see, reason is leading that... And then it's like just trying to match up with that emotionally, but that's kind of uh, yeah. And, and uh, I mean, when you're talking about that, it makes me think of uh, the opposite of that, which is using reason to manipulate the emotions to get a decision. Like where you're, they want a person to believe all the things that are true about the Bible, so they sell the positive points. Hoping to get a person to come over, but you don't, you know. As I mean, you know, 
I don't have to say. I think you should believe things because they're true, not because they would be really awesome if they were true. <laughs> that's that's the yeah. Uh, and I don't think, uh, but I understand what you're saying. That was the end of the conversation. Uh, so yeah, I I mean, you're starting out with. You know, trying to, yeah, I understand that. Just like we're trying to have our emotions informed about what's really true. Right. And we want them to be fitting with what's true. Right. And yeah. then. Because we don't want to miss out on one hand. If we should be shouting for joy and happy all the time, um, then we don't want to miss out on that. We don't want to be doom and gloom when right. we yeah. have something to be. Uh, I think happy that's about. exactly what I do when I'm down about something. I start, I get out a list of things. Okay, what are. Why do think? Why 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 should I be happy? And it starts with out with well, I'm in the kingdom of heaven. God loves me. Okay, all right, that's good. Right, that's some good stuff. And then I don't even put the cons or why I'm feeling bad. I I write it down as challenges to overcome or challenges that are disciplining me now. Or you know, it's instead of these are the things that make my life horrible. Like no, I don't even want to think about it like that. I just think these are the great things. Okay, and if those are true. That God is working on something in me right now. If I'm facing difficulty, difficulty, the Bible says, treat as discipline. So don't treat it as, you know, woe is me. Oh, I'm in training right now. Oh, yeah, that's right. Training. Okay. And then I can have a a better attitude about what's going on. Okay, so the first um, fallacy is just not dealing with it. So it's kind of like just abandoning the argument, being lazy, and so forth. What's the next... Um, informal fallacy that seems to be like a different category, but like a, a big one that's important to know about, to watch out for in ourselves, or to recognize when we see it. I think the, I think the cherry picking and the way it's presented sometimes is is is, is a pitfall. So cherry picking, and I don't like it, or I don't like when it's Sometimes it can be used inarticulately. Like, so when you're misidentifying someone being as a cherry picker. So I'll pick up a point that I think defeats whatever's coming at me. And like, oh, you're just cherry picking. I'm like, no, cherry picking is when you're trying to convey something that's true. And you're not using, you're, you're, you're picking things that would be in line with it if it were true. But you're ignoring all the counter evidence that would completely defeat it. So you're just put, picking up some of the the argument and view and the news does it all the time which is so aggravating because they never they don't cover enough of the story to let people make informed decisions they're just right. picking the thing that see i'm right see this is this is how it is it's fine right and i don't want to say specific examples right now but the you know and, and you're like you know and the the problem with cherry picking is unless you're informed about the topic you wouldn't know that the person's cherry picking. You would right. just be like, "Oh yeah, okay, we'll go along with that." Right. And uh, uh, and so I think it's when people accuse me of cherry picking because I'll pick out the one thing that defeats their argument. I'm like, no, this actually defeats your argument. It's done. I could give you a whole bunch of stuff that would be in line with your argument, but this one actually defeats it. It puts it to death it is a sufficient condition to defeat your argument it's not this cherry picking and something that is going along with my view it's something that actually shows your view is false 
that's not cherry picking. So I, when those two things get confused, I see. it's like, no, they're not the same thing. I, I just showed you right. a defeater. You're just showing me things that are in line with your view and ignoring all your defeaters. You're ignoring anything that would, you know, it doesn't even have to be a defeater, but you're ignoring the evidence that could come against your view. You're not even making me aware of it. You're, you're just acting like it doesn't exist at all. Like, okay, like a laptop. Mm, that laptop doesn't exist. What are you talking about? Nothing to see here. 51 agents said this laptop doesn't exist. Okay, what about the 20-something that wouldn't sign on to that? What about all the evidence that we have that does exist? Can you give me an example of cherry picking? Uh, I guess. I guess I guess I was where. So cherry picking. So there's the Hunter Biden laptop. Okay, I that's see. A that's real thing. that's what you were t- referring yeah, yeah. to in laptop. And there was 51 agents who signed on to a statement who had no direct. Now we find out they had no direct content with the evidence that this laptop existed or not. And they sign on to a statement that said, this is in line with Russian disinformation and we wholeheartedly reject this idea that this laptop exists. And you're like, okay, but you didn't tell me you didn't have any exposure to the evidence that existed or not. You're just saying it's in line with the statement. There was 20-something people who didn't sign that statement who were offered it. Uh, And the chief of staff of this person's... uh, He's the one who rounded up these FBI or ex-CIA agents and FBI agents to sign this statement, intelligent officers, I can't remember which one they are, to to give Joe Biden a talking point on stage. That was his whole point of putting the statement together. And without all these details surrounding it, you would be like, well, it's very credible. These uh, high-level intelligent agents, officers said... Yeah, this is very unlikely that this is a real thing. Okay, I see. So I'm not real familiar with this particular oh. issue, but it's an issue of over whether um, Joe Biden's son Hunter had a laptop or not, and was involved with like some kind of thing going on with Russia, and and basically it's cherry picking, um, as an example of cherry picking the defense against there even being a laptop. Is that right? Right, yeah. Okay. They, they didn't qualify all the, the, the scenario in which this right. statement came about, which is all very shady. Like, like that's not how you get uh, evidence from uh, that's appeal to authority. And I guess that introduces another fallacy, appeal authority, in that they're appealing to authority based on their, their intelligence agents. But did they have any direct knowledge of the evidence for or against this laptop? No. Well, they're not authority on telling me whether the laptop exists or not. No, how, no matter how authority-related they are in intelligence, this particular intelligence they had no pri- privy to. They were not privy to at all. So it makes them irrelevant. That's a fallacious appeal to an authority. Because they, had, they don't right. know about it at all. Right. So it's... So, yeah, so it's just kind of looking at one thing that supports your argument, but it not being a full, reasoned, informed type of um, right. or, uh, support or defense. I guess another simpler example would be if you told me you had three cars mm-hmm. and they were all white mm-hmm. and you showed me one white car mm-hmm. and you're like, see, that's, that's one. I don't even have to show the other two. Just believe me. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 I 
and and I'm like, okay, that's okay. You do that does that is in line with your truth claim. If you had three white cars, you'd have one white car. Right. But if I never get to see the other two cars, to I'm like, well, what, that doesn't prove that it has three white cars. Mm-hmm. But if someone constantly, but you saw the one white car, right? Yeah, but it's not enough. It would right. be necessary for your claim to be true, but not sufficient. Right. And if I showed you, and this is the opposite, if I showed you records, I'm like, look, well, you have one black car. This is in your name. Well, that still wouldn't prove you don't have three white cars. But if you said, I only have three cars, and I, and I show you that one of them is black, that's not cherry picking in the other direction. That's showing you your defeater. I'm like, well, this is a black car in your name. You said you only have three cars that are all white. This is This is one of them, and it's... That's right. not why. That would be a defeater, and that's not me cherry-picking the one car. You could show me the other two white cars. See how it gets muddled? and like One is a defeater. One is just in line with what would be true, but doesn't talk about anything else. Right. And it's, okay. it's a shady way of, you know, I think when, I think it goes along with the line with half-truths. When someone will tell you a half-truth to try to sway you. Sure. And you're like, you didn't tell me this other part. Oh, I didn't think that was important. Ah, yes, it was important. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, that seems a little bit similar to straw man fallacy um, in that straw man fallacy is like you're um, describing a case or a situation that your opponent wouldn't claim, right? Right. And um, so you might be doing it with cherry picking, like making your claim, um, and then, you know, they would say, you know, they wouldn't gladly agree to how you're putting it and so forth, right? Right, yeah. They're, 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 somebody said it's like a hyperbolic way. They're overstating your position or stating it in a way that you, you couldn't sign on to. You, they might have named parts of it, but it's not completely accurate. It's not, you know, uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a true, it's not a genuine representation of a person's position, either by uh, on purpose or mistakenly. Uh, you know, that reminds me of SNL, Rosanna, Rosanna, Dana, where she would get all emotional. You familiar with this? Mm-hmm. She would get all emotional. This would be for older, older viewers. She would be all emotional about an issue. She's on, 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 she's two anchors and she's getting all emotional and getting crazy. And the other worst was like, uh, that's not what they said. They said this. And she was like, oh, Never mind then. <laughs> like, because she was going off the rails, but it, because of a misrepresentation of the position. And then that was her suite. So, one way to guard against that in ourselves is that when we, it is um, just to present our opponent's um, position so that they can hear it and know that we understand it and just ask them, is that what you're saying? And then do that first before diving into it and talking about it. Yeah, I think that's that's a perfect way to address it. And even to keep going beyond that, because I found it's it's almost it's it's kind of yeah. personally I can find I I think I can 
put people on a map like philosophical positions are like mapped out if i hear enough from a person i start put i just start diagramming where they're at i'm like okay oh oh, okay i can see but so i've been coached and I, i i coach others to say okay if you've identified them as an atheist or whatever don't do another uh uh, informal policy and and make a hasty generalization because they're this because they're an atheist then you put all this other baggage on them too where don't put any of them ask them how they arrived where are they coming from how did it happen to them what was the you know because someone puts oh he must have had a hurt from a church and now he hates god because the church hurt him like sure okay yeah. that might be a person is it this person Right, you know, take the time to. Otherwise, you making a hasty generalization, and now maybe you want to give him reasons why he shouldn't have made that choice. And like, well, that's also straw man. That's not even how his position is. That's not how he came to know his position. Right. You know, you're combining two fallacies, and now you're not listening at all, and the person will feel not listened to, and start to be aggravated. But and when we're um, a lot of times we're not with our opponent. We're just in a group of people just like ourselves. And if we're talking about our opponent, we could just ask in our head, is the way I'm describing my opponent's position, if they were here and they hear it, would they gladly take it or would uh, they not? And I think that can help us check ourselves because we kind of know, I think, if we're not being fair and generous to our opponent's position. And then I sometimes, when I hear someone else put forth a straw man of someone, you know, neither of us agree with this person, but I'll kind of like pick up their defense, you know, and, and that's kind of like not the the most helpful thing either because it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's not really um, getting anywhere with it, but I'm not sure how to respond, but it might be the best way to respond when you're just a circle of like-minded people and the the chat starts going about someone else, you know, the opponent, um, how do you, um, you know, uh, kind of suppress that or say, point it out or just help one another not to do that. (laughs) So, I mean, there's two ways to go about it. Like if if we could even exercise there, so you're here in a position mm-hmm. of a person on another person's position. Yeah. And then we can just read. So are you saying that Ed Bowen does this, this, and this, and believes this? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm not familiar with that. I, I, was of the, I was of the understanding that he was this and this, but not this. Which which I would make a difference, I think, in my mind. You know, you let them, you you clarify what they're saying. Now I don't want to make a story because I I just heard uh, someone was telling me about a story about uh, people who are getting uh, upset about the Bud Light agenda, mm-hmm. and but so people were so I think it was two different issues, but just to, just to just to accept and maybe one of the things now it's coming to my mind is accept there is nuance. There are nuanced ways of looking at things because just because someone is laughing and think it's funny that Bud Light lost a lot of money because they took on the woke agenda mm-hmm. and then another person goes into a diatribe about how we should love others 
who are outside the church. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I don't even... These people are laughing at Bud Light's misstep, and you've equated it to we're not loving those outside that... I don't think, I think that would be a non sequitur. Like, how did you move to that position? It's pinging, it's related and it's pinging off something in you. But tell me how you made that move to the, all the church is not loving towards unbelievers. That's a big. Or is that what they're saying? Or they're just um, advocating being non judgmental and loving. In this particular situation, uh, I think. I mean, I wish that would have been that simple, but it seemed to just get on a soapbox right. and start going after and just whitewashing the church. Yeah, I'm like, uh, who, uh, so someone wanted me to interact with it. I'm like, I read you know two paragraphs of stuff, but I don't know what I don't understand the the frustration, the connection because whatever he's putting on these other people, basically they didn't do. They just are talking about another issue and how you pull from that, how they would treat an unbeliever who came to him, who was woke was, would be, you don't know that until they would have to tell you how they would handle that situation. If you're assuming by their aggravation with Bud Light that they would be, I mean, I thought I was like, I don't even know how to interact with it because I'd have to talk to the person directly. And I think he was, I think that person would be making hasty generalizations basically about the people who are speaking, which is again. So it just, you just start reserving judgment. And it's like, I feel like I'm trying to do math for everybody. Like, hold on, wait a minute, let me write this down. You know, and I think, I think even sometimes in a presentation form, having a whiteboard and writing down what people are saying. And helping them see that's not connecting because it, it it does feel like word soup when we're well, I feel like I'm talking too much and people uh, believe like I'm being esoteric and just getting too I'm like I'm not we've mentioned a lot of stuff it's all cluttered and I think it's all not not meshing and and following an argument as much as you think it is so let me write some of these things down. And, uh-huh. and show where we might have taken a leap. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, there's other fallacies we can talk about and, and so forth, but um, you know, I guess one thing I was wanting to, you know, I guess like when is argument helpful? I guess that's just one thought. If you, you know, and and then how these are all like looking at things in a negative way. What's a positive way to approach arguing in a way that's um, how would you put it positively? That this is what we ought to be doing and um, principles to keep in mind. You know, when talking about ideals and so forth, especially with someone who's an opponent. Uh, I think, well, I think in to step off into that, I would mention two more real quick and then go into sure. that. I think, yeah. I think there's a thing called the fallacy fallacy. Okay. That just because someone came oh. to their position 
through fallacy doesn't sure. mean it's wrong. Right. So it's like, yeah. Eh, okay, that's that makes sense. Right. And even if it is a fallacy, it can still be a point, you know, yeah. something to consider. Um like um like you have a black car, so that that could make someone question. Um, so you sure you have three white cars? Because I, I do see you have a black car here. Right, yeah. Know? So it's yeah. a oh, I do. I have four cars. I have three white ones <laughs> and one black one. And we're like, okay, that right. makes sense. Because and I I found I've done that a lot. Like I start putting together scenarios that would make sense in my mind, but because of that extra piece of information, I said like words matter. Like only in this. And and so so and then circular circular reasoning is a big one because we get caught up in it. Some some different circular reasoning and then unfalsifiability are two things where circular reasoning where you assume the premise that your Bible's true because it says it's true. Well, why? Right. You know, you're like, how do you get out? That doesn't really prove anything. You have to, but to tell someone who's a Bible believer that you're a Bible believer but I don't I do believe the Bible's true but I'm using outside evidence to confirm that oh you just don't believe it on its face I'm like uh, no I don't think we're supposed to the Bible teaches that we shouldn't believe everything we're taught check out the Proverbs sometime Paul says test everything hold to that which is good uh, test yourself test the spirits to see if they're of Christ test yourself to see if you're the faith there's tests you know, we're not we're not supposed to be naive. Naivety is something that the Bible preaches against. The simple believe everything that they're told. That's what Proverbs says. But the prudent man looks into a matter. Right. Uh, so circular arguing that sounds a little bit like presuppositionalism. Is it? I think you, so. It's begging okay. a question. It's uh, it's assuming the premise, and I think that leads to unfalsifiability in some instances where. For instance, um, I just have to bite the bullet. If I only know that a certain view is true, if I, if someone tells me I can only know the Bible's true because the Holy Spirit has put it into me, know that, okay, then what's an outside test? The only test will ever be that the Holy Spirit has informed me, and then how do you know that the Holy Spirit's informed me? Because you believe it's true, then how would I know? When I, you'll know the Holy Spirit's inform you when you believe it's true. Uh, and then, okay, then how would I ever? So only people who can know it's true are the people the Holy Spirit lets in on it. Yeah. All right. Then, if it never does, then I will never know. And the only pe- the only people who will know it, it gets to this point where you, there's no way to ever confirm that. That you can only be let in on the secret. But if there is another way, like logic and reason, that establishes truth premises, and there are there are tests for truth, what's true, what's not true, and then you can go, okay, the, the Bible claims to be true. These are tests for truth. It, in fact, corresponds to, the world corresponds to the truth as the way that the Bible states it. Oh, I can confirm that it's true. And I can confirm it's true in these areas that are testable, but then there are other areas that are not testable. There's no way I can test whether the Holy Spirit came to Mary and conceived Jesus. I can't test that. That's something I'm going to take on faith based on 
the other things that I could do work on, like the historical res- proof for the resurrection, if I can get to the point where I'm like, well, the only thing that explains the resurrection is a supernatural world in which a supernatural being can bring a human back to life. And if that happened, the person that happened to, and he says it happened because I represent God and everything I say is true, then now I have a, a logical argument to follow to go, well, I have to believe the rest of this stuff now because Jesus came back from the dead. That it was awesome. And he said to his witnesses, you will be witnesses for me to the ends of the earth. And the primary thing you will be witnessing is that I did rise from the dead. I am who I said I was. And me coming back from the dead was validation on everything I put forth. So even, it seems like um, reason... Objective reason would even be a foundation for presuppositionalism, or for what you were describing about believing, because if you, believing that the Holy Spirit confirms that the Bible is true, because that is a proposition right there that the Holy Spirit. Uh, so where where do you get that from? Um, I mean, it, it you that's a reason. I think he can confirm, like, but if you're starting out, like, can you believe it before the Holy Spirit confirms? Can you, can you, can you be uh, a presuppositionalism would never believe you're in a neutral position to make a, make a judgment. You either believe it or you don't. Only God Mm -hmm. can give that to you. And I think other positions represent, yes, we are in bondage to sin. We're in bondage to a lot of faulty things, but... Even with our, so there's just a disagreement on the uh, total depravity. Total depravity completely destroys everything, and you can do nothing correct apart from God. Or total depravity in the sense that the fall has affected every part of our being, where we do everything not well, including morally look for God. And I would say, I would always say. I'm not saying, here's what I'm not saying, that we find God. I'm fine. I, I'm saying God has made the world in a way where he has put light in it, and then he's given us eyes to see, and then with the, he says, believe me, there's light. You can see it. And some people just close their eyes, and they won't see the light, and other people are like, I do see the light. This is in line with what I'm, I, I he gave us the tools to identify truth, and then he said, this is what's true, and believe it. And I think he does have to, at this point in my walk, I think he does free us from the bondage of sin enough to, with, 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 with the way he presents the world. He is ahead of us. He's created the world. Romans 1 is all about that. You should know that there's a God just by creation. You should be able to look around and go, this is too amazing to just pop into existence on its own, whatever reasoning you have. And from there you go, okay, there's a God, and who is he? What did he say? And if you're honest, I think honesty will lead you down the path to go ruling out different religions and and come to the point where you're like, man, the Bible does seem to be true. I think it's true. And then I think God in his way, the way he's presented, it does confirm it is true through your mind and through his spirit. But I think... It's 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 kind of like I I might be presenting it wrong, but let's like I was trying to say it's like a magic trick that the Holy Spirit gives it to you and you've got it. But I think there's another pass. I think 
that God does work through our minds and reason. He did give us our eyes to see the light. He did give us our minds to apprehend truth. And through that, we can also see it. We can be like, this stuff is, if, if I'm being honest, this stuff seems supernatural. It seems beyond a, 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 a materialist, naturalist, unsupernatural explanation. It all seems beyond that. So I, I believe, you know, I think there are stepping stones to it. And I think you can come to it in different ways. But if you're, so what I'm basically saying is there's a, an epistemology problem with some versions of Christianity. I think Calvinism has an epistemology problem because you could never know that you're right unless you believe in Calvinism. If Calvinism is true, then the Holy Spirit's opened your eyes to it. You know it's true. If it's not true, well, he didn't open your eyes. You'll never know it's true. That seems like the most circular argument that I've ever heard, and I could never get out of it. There's no other outside confirming. Nope. That's the only way. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense because it seems to me in other places in the Bible, God is about providing more than one witness. You know, if that's the way he treats people when matters of the law are at stake, why wouldn't he provide multiple witnesses? And other? And I think he does as an apologist. All I see is markers for God. All I see is markers for pointing towards Jesus, God, the truth, the Bible. The historical record points to the Bible. The archaeological record points to the Bible. Everything, I'm like, oh my gosh, you can't get away from it if you're just being honest. I'm like, why couldn't he have done it in that? Multiple, multiple, multiple witnesses that lead back to, even in science, in psychology, in philosophy, even in the, even in the beauty argument, beauty assumes an order. Like, we discovered the musical scale. We didn't decide what it was. And then later we discovered the the numerical values that it carries with it. But we all heard it in the air. Well, not all of us. Some of us are tone deaf. But the, the people who are gifted could see or hear the beauty of the notes. And so there's something about that that requires an order. So we just recognize... I think that's stuff, and we're I'm built to. I'm do going so. the long way around, but you've said it very eloquently. Yes, um, I think like a presuppositionalist would allow someone just to argue their way toward their position, toward biblical truth, and so forth. But it's like when they put up an argument against it, then they would say, "What do you have? To, how can you stand on that? Like, how can you yeah. even stand on your own reasoning and so forth?" And we agree, and we agree with that type of arguing. Yeah. The, uh, I think that di- I guess one of the biggest differences between classical evidential and presuppositional is that the presuppositional demands that you must start there, where the other two are like, we'll, we'll work with what you have. What are the things that you have confidence in? That's enough. We'll start from there. Yeah. You think you can know truth? That's fine. We'll start from there. You think that historical, is some historians reliable. We can start there. You think there is value to morality? We can start there. That's enough. Right. You know, it doesn't establish everything, but for us, it's enough. You have a piece of the puzzle. Let's help you identify other pieces. Where it seems like the presuppositionalist demands that that person be so logical that you can't even have a thinking mind without. And I'm like. <laughs> 
I agree with you. But this person is way over here. Let's just, I think God put, I think, uh, I think of uh, apologetics as a person who's lost in the jungle. And it's dark everywhere except one direction he can see. Hmm. A fire going a hundred, you know, miles, maybe mm-hmm. ten miles away. You can see light pretty far in the dark. And and as an apologist, I'm like, if we can get that person to start heading towards the light, they'll they'll see more things. Mm-hmm. That's all we had to do. Jaron Bars um, speaks along those lines, like showing parallels between what an unbeliever values and believes, and how that aligns with Christianity, like. Um. You know, because they're they're built in God's, made in image, God's image, right, yeah. and there's something about them that you can affirm and say, yeah. "This is all about God. This is what God is like," and so forth. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hear the word "begging," the phrase "begging the question." Um, sometimes I'm not sure exactly what that means. Said okay, yeah, yeah. Begging the question and circular reasoning. Okay, that's the it's, same thing. It's the exact same thing. Okay. Yeah, it's just different ways of saying it. Because you're, and then someone said, let's just, I'm like, well, that's the best way to say it. You're, you're basically just assuming the premise. Okay. So you're just, the Bible is true. Why is the Bible true? Well, because it says it's true. And that's why I believe it's true. Because it says it's true. That's why I believe it's true. Because it says it's true. So I believe it. Right. And the Bible's never wrong. So it's true. Right. Why do you believe the Bible's never wrong? Because it says it's never wrong. And therefore, whatever it says is true. Yeah. And you just can't, like, okay. But I think the atheist does that too. The atheist kind of, so the, I don't know what to call this, but when people apply, just they apply their worldview instead of evaluate the worldview. I don't even know what that's called, but I think it's kind of circular reasoning too. Because we'll, uh, I'll talk to people, we're like, you know, the Big Bang, how do you explain how we got here? Well, you know, if we concede to that was a thing, and and we're saying scientists, our side would say scientists, people who believe in an old universe would say scientists believe that the universe and the laws of physics did not always exist, but came into being. And it had to come into being outside of time, outside of space, matter, and the laws of physics. How do you explain that? And the, and I've I've been with people on stage who say, "Well, we're here, aren't we?" Okay, and, and there's no God, but we're here, so there you go. Yeah. And you're like, "That's not what are you doing?" Well, they're saying obviously it could happen because yeah, it we, did. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it just did. So they're assuming. What are they assuming? They're applying. Okay, I think they're applying that it did just happen. With no arguments from why, uh, well, it did. So there we go. We're here. So like, obviously right. it happened. They're assuming that it did happen, but that's not evidence that it happened. That's evidence that something happened, but your explanation of the something is not, they just assume it. Another yeah. one is, okay, this happened a lot with uh, one of my friends. So uh, that the Bible can't be the word of God. Why? Because there is no God. Therefore, the Bible could never be the Word of God, which is not even evaluating the claim. That's just applying what they already believe to the question before them. It's like putting like your own assumption as one of the premises and starting there. Um, and therefore, having to do no work. 
There is no God. So how can this be the word of God? Come on, let's get to some serious question. <laughs> You're like, ah. okay, so so you almost have to like step by step. For the sake of the argument, let's say that there could be a God and there could be no God. And before us is this book that claims to be from this God if he were real. And I, I've been with people who just won't do it. There's like, Ed, I don't believe that there's a God, so I can't even entertain that. I can't even entertain this as a piece of evidence. Right. And then you might ask a person, you know, what would it take to for you to, what kind of evidence would it be enough for you to believe that there is a God or whatever it is that they're dealing with? And that can be might may, may be helpful just... Uh, well, I think that leads to another fallacy. I don't even know what it would be called, but uh, some people... Uh, uh, is is a burden of proof where it's too much. Like I don't want to believe anything unless you can pr- prove it a hundred percent. But that's not the way truth claims work. Mm-hmm. Math make work like that because I'm like, and then you have to challenge on that. Well, I don't think that's true. Oh, you don't. You, well, did you get married? Did you drive to work today? Did you put money in the stock market? Did you? How do you know that's going to work out? Because you just said, you just told me, you don't like to do anything unless you know for 100% that's going to work out. I mean... So you're trusting no matter what. It's just built into life. Yeah. You can't get away from it. So right. to, to expose that, that's, that their argument is really not... So I said, well, this is pretty important, so I've I got to have more proof if I'm actually going to do it. I'm like, well, it is so important, and you're already picking one side, which is, you know... It's so important that heaven and hell is at stake if my view is right. If your view is right, nothing's at stake. But you're already moving yourself. You're saying it's important, but you're acting as if it's not because you, you're you just not even taking the time to wrestle with something that's before you. Like I, I, I really thought it was interesting that this talks to the importance of the issue. Penn and Teller, you know, the comedians, the Penn, I think it's Penn, He's like, he's like, I am disgusted with people who would not evangelize to me. He's like, if, if you really thought heaven and hell was a real place, real places, and you thought I was going to hell and you didn't try to talk to me, you must really hate me. Because, so I'm like, yeah, this person is, sees the, he understands the importance of the issue and so much so that he wouldn't even like you if you were a believer and didn't try to evangel- He's like, you must really hate me. How much do you have to hate a person who is in who's in danger of the damnation of hell, and you won't talk to him about it? But he's a he's a atheist. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if you really thought the issue was important, and so talking to one of your questions, I think, I think kind of like what you just said, belief and positions and understanding, it's part of the world and our life and help people understand it. Like what people would say, whatever their belief system, because there's, I'm coming up against people who are not believers, who who are believers, who think what we do is a little bit over the top. It's too much. We're, we're not depending on God to help save people. And I'm like, that's exactly who we're depending on. We're actually following his directive. Paul is the one who was persuading people in the synagogues, reasoning from the scriptures day to day, to prove that the Christ had to suffer and die. Those are the words from the New Testament. Arguing and reasoning from the scriptures to persuade people that, that Christ did have to die. And you're like, 
well, that sounds exactly what we're trying to do. <laughs> and even pulling from outside of the scriptures at times. Right. Yes. To, to you know, like, like uh, uh, Barr, uh, there's some things that they do have right. Let's use those things too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even then I was like, are those forms of fallacies? I don't know. I have to think about it. But it's... So, I think it's part of the terrain, you know, having... Oh, Isaac, I, I have to send you something sometime. Isaac Watts had a thing, and he basically was... He's arguing that logic was a grace sent to God to rescue us from some of our baser... Uh, Understandings, because we're we're we we'll go along with bias, we'll go along with uh, preference. He's like logic saves us from those things because it is just removed from it. He's like it's a grace given to us to to save us from some of our baser. Huh. And I'm like that's really well. I mean, he states it several. I have to try to cherry pick when I quote people because they'll say it in three paragraphs and I'll be like, I love all of it. I'm like, no one's going to listen to all this. But that was one of the better ways he said. I said, so as belief systems is part of the furniture of the universe, so are, so is language. And then so are the proper ways of reasoning. That's part of it too. And when Hmm. someone reasons poorly, uh, I think C.S. Lewis, he, so he had a quote, he said, uh, good philosophy must exist, if for no other reason, because bad philosophy does. Mm-hmm. It's like we have to, and he's the one who said, if we don't, if we, if the, those of us who are thoughtful, if we don't counter the attacks from the enemy on this ground, he's like, our simpler brethren have no chance at all. They can't counter this stuff. They're not even thinking about it. The rhetoric, the fallacies. He's like, if we're not putting up barriers and safeguards to keep us reasoning well, then these people have no chance. He's like, that's our job for those people. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, like I said, it's a, for me, it's a roadmap of, of, for, of just the furniture of the universe and how, how it all interacts. And then Dallas Willard, Dallas Willard said, he said, and it makes sense. If you're, he said, crooked thinking always favors evil. And I was thinking, now now think about that. Like, if you were putting together a project and you weren't, you were reading the directions poorly, consistently. Hmm. It's going to be evil in a destructive sense. Right. Evil in the, yeah, it's not going to be good. Mm -hmm. It's going to, and I'm like, yes, how much more so when it comes to spiritual matters? You know, and I think, Mm -hmm. uh, Truth oh. matters. Yeah, truth matters. Okay, now here's a here's a little thing that I was thinking about, and and I got things will come to my head. But so, what are the biggest? And this might explain the whole why, why I do what I do, in in, in, a, in a hopefully an eloquent way. So the biggest problems that we face as a church are we have we can have false brothers. We can, have, one problem. we can have false teachers. Okay. False false doctrine. Uh false false spirits. Okay. Um false ideas. False philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh 
false brothers. We said that false teachers, false pastors. All these things got the word false in front of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it comes from the father of lies. False spirits, false false ideology, false spirits make their way into the other things, to the false brothers, the false pastors, the false teachers. They're all pulling from a, a book from the father of lies, who's like, how do I get this false ideology? Well, I'm going to send my false spirit into it and see if we can get some people along the way. And if we can get those people in the church, then these false ideas will spread through false brothers, false. And, oh, so I did categorize it. There's the people... False teachers, brothers, pastors. But then there's the ideas, false doctrines, false philosophies. But they come from the false spirit and the false, the father of lies. And I'm like, that's what an apologist works against. I think we're we're defenders of the truth against the outside church who's trying to understand it. We're also inside the church going, hey, there are boundaries to truth. Truth looks like this. That's a weird idea. Where is it coming from? What's coming from? Well, now that reminds me of another uh, fallacy, which is the fallacy of the genetic fallacy, the source. If the source is, where is it coming from? Then it's false. Well, sometimes though. Well, Satan can tell the truth sometimes, but he can lie. So it does make it more difficult. But I think the the falsehood ideas is what once uh you know you categorize all that stuff. I'm like, okay, that's why we do what we do, because the father of lies is that's his really only mechanism to attack the church. If we can get you to believe the wrong thing, you will do the wrong things, and then game's over. Yeah, and it reminds me of the serpent coming to Eve. I mean, this is like a false type of way of thinking of looking at God and reality mm-hmm. and, and so forth. Right. And that's that's his only game. He's you know, did God really say? Mm-hmm. Is God lying? Did he really say that? And then to interact with uh that is uh is it's uh, and the thing about Satan if Satan is real, he's been here from the beginning. He's craftier he knows he he doesn't know everything about us, but he knows uh, what we're often going to fall for. Mm-hmm. Where our priorities. I mean, I think he studies us. Did you did you see that movie Nefarious? No, I've heard about it. I haven't seen it. What are you doing this evening? <laughs> I don't know. I'll talk to you later about that. Remember to ask you about that. Okay, we're going to see it again. Oh, you're seeing it today? Uh, I saw it so with Hank a few weeks ago, but he's going to see it with a group tonight again. Okay. And I think it's they're going at five forty-five to Ronnie's. Okay. So, but it's so in that. Do you know what it's about? I've heard people describe it a little bit. Okay. So, so that is interesting because he the argument it's very it's been said to be a very Christian worldview type movie. I think it is. I think. It's coming from Satan's mouth. It's kind of like the screw tape letters. It's coming from Satan's mouth, but he's basically going, yeah, we're getting our way. We're getting our way with your approval. That's the most delightful thing about it is like we're getting our way because we've we've creeped into everything. And you, you know, as as an atheist psychologist who's sitting across the table from him, he like touts all these things and and the demon just laughs. He's like... (laughs) 
That's exactly what we want you to do. And you're proud of it. We're winning. We're kicking your butt. And it's like, oh my goodness. Yeah, but like, is Satan winning? I mean, the kingdom of God is yeah, bursting forth all over the world. And right, so forth, right, you know? right. I guess in some, yeah, you're right. And, and, but and, in culture. Yeah, in culture. I think that's prince what, of the. He's uh, the prince of the world. But to get a person, I mean, there's, yeah, to get people to tout and so, celebrate immorality and, right. and, and wear it as a badge. I mean, just just like, I mean, right. it's funny that the pride symbol is what is that. It's like, that's the number one sin is pride. Hmm. And right. Then, and then that's where like, we're, I know, it's creative of Satan. It's like, even, even how Satan came at humanity, man was supposed to have dominion over the earth. Mm-hmm. Man is head of the woman, as Christ is head of the church. Man has dominion over the beasts and the animals. Satan picks a snake to go through the woman to attack the head of the family. So Satan is not only attacking, he's just like, I'm just going to, I want to turn it on its head. I want to be so, I want to show you that a snake is supposed to be under the dominion of man. And a woman who's supposed to be under the head of man. That's the direction. That's how I want to turn it upside down. It's like, okay, it's not just good versus evil. I mean, it is really just evil, evil. But like you said, I think the best analogy of... Somebody said Satan is like the guy at the pool who's on the edge of the pool and he sees this look in some of his friend's eyes and they start going and they're going to shove him in the pool. And the only thing a person can do at that point is grab the closest person he can and take him win with him. That's Satan's, that's Satan's lot in life. He's going. He knows it. The only thing he can do is drag as many humans down as with him as possible. Hmm. So, um, you know, kind of just touching back on beauty again, it seems to me like a lot of what we believe is because of what we desire, you know, what we find beautiful, what we want to be true, and then we can build things up around that. And it's probably because of lazy thinking that, you know, we're that's a bigger part of our thinking than otherwise but um, so there might be something to showing with our lives letting our light shine so others might see our good works and glory to our Father in Heaven Um, there might be something to like you know just showing the, the beauty of the Christian faith Jesus said something about wisdom is proven right by her children or known by her children or so forth and I've don't know exactly what yeah. that means, but I've wondered if it means like, well, certain things, certain ideas, true things are going to bear out in a good way. Right. And um, that's going to be a part of the proof for it being truth, you know? Yeah, I think so. I, I was listening to, I try to listen to, so it's 31 days in a month. I try to listen to that proverb, the day, and then five Psalms that correlate to those. Mm-hmm. And that's been helpful. And I, And one of them I heard... Uh, as going with what you're saying is that, you know, uh, it, it was saying that the righteous man, God watches his way. And 
and then instead of just going, every moment will be awesome. The way is the entire journey. At the end, you will end where because God's watching the entire way, where you're going through moments where discipline might be involved, hurt might be involved, loss might be involved. But the Psalms and Proverbs kind of talk in a way like you're saying, in general, this is what happens. Even though we could pick out a specific example and go, that was horrible that happened to that good Christian. Why why did God do that? Even then, that's not the end of the story because if there's an eternal kingdom, then that person is translated into that kingdom and it's the beginning of a new life. Mm -hmm. But in general, I I think of it as a long-term journey where... I just got done reading Tozer, and Tozer, his book is called The Crucified Life. And you're like, what is And then he goes into talking about what does crucified mean. He's like, well, it's Jesus said, carry, pick every day, you got to carry your cross. He's like, okay, if you're carrying, think about this in the real world. If you were carrying a cross in Rome, what are you going to do that day? Um. I don't carry a cross. I'm not sure. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, people who carry crosses were carrying them to the crucifixion. Sure. Okay, I see what you mean. So yeah. there's going to be an end to the road. Yeah, there's of- going to be an end, and he's like, and it ends in death. Mm-hmm. So if Jesus says, pick up your cross daily, he's like, is it supposed to be wonderful, magical, blessings, riches, wealth? Or is there something we're missing if Jesus said, pick up your cross daily because something is going to be crucified today? And he took it as your old man. Some part of your old man needs to be crucified today. And he's like, and death is painful. It sucks. It's not good. He's like, there is an end to it. But then Jesus said there'll be another one tomorrow. And for Tozer, life wasn't... I mean, I think he. I think his life was good. That's not what I'm saying. But I think, or, or he was a pastor. He, he, he. But he wasn't worried about how big his church was. He just he spoke all the time. But for him, he's like, I choose the crucified life. What needs to be crucified today? And I think that's a life of discipline and looking and thinking. And it seems to be a harder life than the the. Faith word movement, where God always intend this lifetime, God intends you to be healthy and rich, and if it's not, you don't have enough faith. And maybe I'm straw manning their argument a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not too far off from that, I think. And so it bearing out, I think, is a lot more true than any picture of a person's life to say, oh, they're godly, where I think we strive to be in those pictures, but there, there, there are difficulties, there are, there are things that we need to get worked out of us, that we need to grow in, that, you know. But I think it does, it is a beautiful picture to see, like Colossians 3 says it, that we are being renewed in the image of our Creator, Daily, like that is a beautiful picture to think. I'm taking off the old man, I'm putting on the new man as I grow in the knowledge of the image of my creator. That's it is happening, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm like, well, that is beautiful. God's work to God's workmanship, yeah. And so he's doing something, yeah. The author and perfecter of our faith. But if 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 anyone is taking it seriously, they will testify that it's a grind, you know. 
where your demons are. You know where your faults are. You know you just don't go, oh, I lick them. No problem there anymore. I think over time you can look back and go, wow, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not, I'm not that person anymore. I can still snap, but my temper is nowhere near where it used to be. I can see it still flare, but I can go, for the most part, I'm like, well, okay, I am different. Mm-hmm. You know, and then then I think part of me wants to see a change in another area, and I'm like, okay, that could move. Okay, I'm, and, and it goes to that argument. First comes uh, suffering, then perseverance, and then character, and then hope. And just in that, I'm like, well, this might be the first time I saw hope in the sense that in this other area I suffered. And what is perseverance? Perseverance is just suffering for a long time. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, okay. And James says, let it finish itself and do its work. It's got to do its work. Stop pulling yourself out of the fire. Ah, oh, it's too much suffering. But, and it leads to character. I'm like, oh, I am better here. And if I'm better here, oh, I could be better over there. Ooh, I'm getting happy. I'm hopeful. <laughs> and I'm like, I think that's the first time that argument ever worked out in my recollection, getting to the hope part, because I normally just go, well... I know suffering and perseverance it'll eventually lead to character, and then I just shut it down at that point. But this is the first time I've reflected on going, there is an area in my life that did change. Whew. I know it changed, but I never reflected on it in the, in the way that I got to the hope part. I just acknowledge, yeah, I've changed. So, <laughs> Sorry, we get okay. a little off topic there. <laughs> as far as just kind of, um, so, you know, uh, let's just kind of, put some general principles together um, as a way to kind of wrap up for general principles for communicating, um, dealing with opponents, um, dealing with these issues, whether it's political or religious or whatever, things that we, um, you know, there's someone who thinks differently. So we're talking with them or about them. Um, we're dealing, we're wrestling with these things every day. You know, it's, they're they're all around us. A conflict of opinions. Um, what are basic principles um, for navigating well and communicating well in a way that's profitable, in a way that's really going to be doing good in the lives of those around us. So I used to think of it in one order, but now I think of it, you know, I guess, backwards in my mind now. So I think the first step, if you want to interact with other people and their views and opinions, is to genuinely get to know the person, treat them with respect, yeah, and and understand that you have to be open enough. Uh, a conversation about two different ideologies. You have to be open to entertain theirs if you expect them to be open to entertain yours. Mm -hmm. If there's not an openness there, if you're not really going to listen to their position, if you're just going to preach at them, if you're just going to play the gotcha game, don't help us, please. Because you're not. Because it's it's making it harder for the rest of us who are trying to actually. And, and, And I think as a person who had studied so much... I knew I had answers, and I didn't think about... I just thought if people knew the truth or heard the truth, 
it would just be overwhelming. I didn't understand the dynamics of personalities and emotional involvement and the damage. And actually uh, understanding there's probably going to be like four conversations going on. There's what you're trying to present. But then there's their interpretation of what you're trying to present. There's what they're trying to present and then your interpretation of it. That's four conversations going on unbeknownst to us. Mm -hmm. And so just slow it down, listen, get clarity Mm -hmm. and be nice, be loving, be nice and and get permission to speak. I think is also, are you open to talking about this? No, I don't really want to talk about this at all. All right. Now your job just got easier. Just love on the person don't bring up stuff unless they bring it up and just be Christ to them. Your mm-hmm. job, just you just remo- release yourself from any arguments. You don't have to have any. They're not open. Right. Great. Now they just got to see you being attractive then, mm-hmm. you know, and genuinely attractive. Not, I have to show them how great we are. Yeah. No, just be, be godly. Be right. brother, brotherly love. Right. If there's something valuable in you that God has done through his grace. You don't have to produce that. You just open up and let people see it. That's right. And then, so, and then I would say if there's, um, conversation, then you got to listen. And then I've learned listening, uh, as a, as a, I think as a math person, as a philosophy person, I listened to all the words and I was doing all the, equations and the syllogisms but listening i've learned is hearing the information but then watching with your eyes the emotion that is attached to the information because that's going to be a better indicator of how you should handle some things if they're very sad or very mad about something or inquisitive those are three different types of things if they're inquisitive you can do the math with them you can do the logic with them if they're mad or sad you're not going to get anything done until you find out why they're mad or sad about this topic. Hmm. Yeah. And it, and it's it's a long way around but after but listening to their seeing their emotion, addressing it saying, "Wow, you seem really aggravated or you really seem to be down." I think aggravated is what I <laughs> run into more. Seem very aggravated about, you know, this position here. I mean, uh can you elaborate on that? Where is that coming from? And now you just gave this permission to tell their story. And they will, and then don't judge it. Just listen to it and accept that this is how they're coming at it. And that's going to be meat to chew on. That's probably going to be, if you really want to listen to people, it's not going to be two conversations and you've sorted this person out. It's probably going to be 20 conversations and you're still, this person's still going to be all over the place. But now you've had 20 conversations, which is more than preaching them to two of them and really them not even hearing you mm-hmm. in 20 conversations you will have really heard them and maybe they'll start to hear you and mm-hmm. i think god is working through that he's working through all of it mm-hmm. but I've, i'm finding identifying the emotion is almost like a, a, a bomb people want to be heard they want to be listened to and and uh cared for and if you do that in the beginning and along the way, but primarily, if you're the if you're the truth sayer, here's what I help people say: if you're the truth sayer type of person, you need to err on the side of loving and listening too much because you're not going to mm-hmm. err on that side. If you're the person who loves and listens forever, 
you need to stick some truth in every once in a while or challenge the conversation because you don't want to do that. Do the opposite of what you want to do and you'll balance out at some mm-hmm. point. That's my second piece of advice. My third piece of advice is before you start defending your position or trying to um, deconstruct their position, to take some time to study what it is. You, but does your position add up? Are you putting a bunch of fallacies in your position that really, are you appealing to uh, fallacious arguments to arrive at your position? Are you circular reasoning? Are you doing any of the things? Evaluate your own position. Interact with them enough to where when you present them, you know they make sense. And you can see how uh, fallacious versions have gotten out there. And then when someone throws that at you, you can say, I used to think that way. I can see what you're saying. I think you're right. That's not a good point. I wouldn't I wouldn't argue it like that. And then the person goes, Oh, oh, well, oh, this person agrees with me. How how would you argue it then? And now you have a platform to give a, the clear thing that you've studied that makes more sense now. And uh I think that's the order I would do it in before I would say study, study, study. But I'm like, no, just mm-hmm. be loving, make sure they're open genuinely listen to them care for their soul and then study put together some arguments some reasoning and i think to plug our own ministry i think e360 is keeping it so basic the simple gospel the simple apologetic for the resurrection and from there i think we equip people to have start those conversations guide those spiritual conversations and end in a place that is uh much more probably what your mind and heart was aiming for in the first place. Really good, Ed. Um, how would you have people to um, follow you if they wanted to or contact you or stay in touch with what you're doing and that type of thing? Um, I would say e360m.org is our website, and you can interact with us there. And then my personal email, if someone wanted to float a question or interact, would be Ed. Dot Bowen, B as in boy, O W E N, at E as in echo, 360, M as in Ma, Mike.org. So ed.bowen at E360M.org. All right. Well, thanks, Ed. It was really good. I appreciate the conversation. I do too, Will. It's been wonderful. <laughs>